I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And as promised, this episode's a little bit different. We're going to be covering an author who George and I have, I wouldn't say too recently discovered, but we have read both of his books. And there is a direct correlation to what we cover here on Retro Ramble, wouldn't you say, George? Oh, very much so. This is a required reading for a lot of our listeners, as well as an author. He's a, a fellow podcaster. Uh, a, a, he's even a filmmaker. I think it's the first actual real filmmaker we've had on the podcast as well. Wow. Wow, yes. And he's written for Den of Geek and co-writer and producer of feature documentary in the search of the last action hero. But without further ado, hello, Timon. This is Timon Singh. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. <laughs> we are super excited. I mean, the amount of time when George and I were discussing what our podcast setup was going to be, how we were actually going to structure the show, we were like, at some point, we're going to have to do like best character actors of all time or, or best villains of all time. And not only have you beaten us to it, but you've done it in such an interesting format. This, uh, these, these books, which we're going to be talking about today, Born to be Bad, Parts 1 and 2. And am I right in thinking that 2 has recently come out? I mean, I've only just got to it, so I don't know... Uh, how recent it is. Yeah, it's what, September now. So it came out a couple of months ago. So yeah, yeah, quite recently. Pretty, pretty fresh. So I'm not, I'm not sure where where best place to start, George. What should we fire off with, uh, with time we've got here? We want to talk about his book. Do you want to dive straight in? Well, I mean, I was going to say there's, um, in terms of, you know, his introduction, you're, you're a man of, of many talents and you're wearing many hats. So as well as the book, you run a, a film club, the, the Bristol Bad Film Club. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Give us a bit of a background on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, the Bristol Bad Film Club, it's, we're dedicated to showing the films that are so bad, they're spectacular. <laughs> so my... What I wanted to do was I live in Bristol and I'm very jealous of the Prince Charles Cinema in London because no, they, isn't. exactly they get to gr- show whatever they you know want from like sing-alongs to their annual screening of the room. And I was always kind of bitter that there wasn't anywhere in Bristol that would do that. We've obviously got the Cube Microplex and they do cool retro nights and the watersheds are great independent cinema, but there was no one that was really showing schlock and i wanted a schlock night i wanted somewhere where you could see things like birdemic shock and terror uh samurai cop the room uh miami connection all that kind of stuff so i think seven years ago eight years ago maybe at this point i set up the bristol bad film club and once a month we do a screening of a film that's either so bad it's awesome or a film that you can't believe it got made and I introduce the night, give some background on the film so people know what they're watching. Because often the stories behind these films are much more interesting than the films themselves. That's not to yeah. say the films aren't great. And then we show these films in our venue, uh, the Bristol Improv Theatre. We tend to sell out every month. There's a bar there so people get a few drinks in and it's just a, it's a great night. Obviously with the whole pandemic and stuff, have you managed to start again, you know, pick, pick things back up? 
We literally just started doing live events last month. So we kicked off with this little known action film called Action USA that was made by Texas Stuntman. And it's basically just him showcasing his stunt expertise. It's <laughs> a, man, a man hanging from a helicopter, people getting blown off bridges, fist fights, and it's really great fun. And yeah, we, we, there was the demand for live events so much and our venue was operating at reduced capacity. We actually had to put on two screenings and they both sold out. So yeah, we were really happy about that. Well, that's, yes, it sounds awesome. I mean, uh, well, Charlie and I are both from Newcastle and it's a similar thing up here. You know, I, I used to live in London and work in London up until uh, recently. And yeah, we we spent many a time, I went to many nights at the Prince Charles, many of their sort of went to the the Wayne's World swing along. Um, there was, yeah, the Big Lebowski, Anchorman. There was some, yeah, absolute nights of carnage. And yeah, again, it's the same with Newcastle. There isn't really anything like that up here. But I'm sure, yeah, if Charlie and I uh, ever make it to, to Bristol at some point, we'd love to check it out. Oh, Absolutely. We, we'll have to go because, I mean, we, we've always thought about trying, I think, looking at the Prince Charles and I was like, why isn't there something like this up north? Mm. You know, just a theme and you would have seen it in the films that we've we've all been growing up on when you see in the American cinemas how they're showing classic films. Well, at least they were in the 90s, small independent cinemas just showing whatever films they had. Maybe those days have gone, but it's, it's a shame considering how easy it should be to beam something into, yeah. into, into yeah. a theatre. I mean, I've tried to experiment a bit with that here. In fact, let me just turn this around. This is going to mean absolutely nothing to your listeners. Um, but <laughs> on the wall here, I've got some posters from nights that I've tried to organise. So, well, that, oh. that actually happened. So for Arnie's 70th birthday, we did Arnie Geddon. Nice. There was a Schwarzenegger <laughs> triple bill. This is my experiment genre Geddon action for a 12-hour movie marathon of just action B-movies. Oh, love uh, That went all right. Uh, we had a John Carpenter triple bill when the last Halloween film came out. And when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, we did a double bill of the original Godzilla and Destroy All Monsters. So I try, I'm try. i trying to replicate that whole kind of Alamo Drafthouse Grindhouse thing that has yeah. worked really well in America. But it's, you know, different audiences. It's not such like a cultural thing. And that kind of, I found that, you know, big 12-hour movie marathon thing, that, that's a very special thing that they can do at uh, the Prince Charles, do that all-nighter thing. And, you know, there are hardcore film enthusiasts that do it in America. I'm not sure your general British audience is up for it because it's, it's exhausting. It makes, yeah. it, it makes it almost like casual watching. It's, you know, it's sort of like this idea. That there's, a, there's a lot of that, you know, they... They were the first in America. I mean, years ago, they had they have the internet on all day. And we were like, what? No dial-up. Um, but it's like the cinema's on all day. I think you'd imagine people are coming and going from these showings. I'm going to go and get some food. Or there's this thing on tonight. I don't know what they're showing first. I'll drop in at some point. Um, but I suppose it kept the cinemas going. Yeah, we did a few watch parties uh, during the pandemic where uh, the, you know, the great thing about bad films is there are loads of B-movies on YouTube. So we just kind <laughs> of go, pretty easy. we're watching this film at this time, join us and we'll do like a live tweet along or I'd set up like a chat room where people can put comments while they're watching it. And, you know, it was, it was, a, a, it wasn't as good as, you know, when you've got a hundred yeah. people in a room and they're all drinking and laughing and everything. But, you know, we tried to do what we could during so, that crazy 18 months. So a uh, question for you, and it, it, it's a tough question, but mm. what is your favorite bad, you know, quote, quote unquote movie, or what's your favorite guilty pleasure? I think Samurai Cop takes a lot to beat. It's, right. uh, 
I'm uninitiated. I'm uninitiated, so enlighten me, please. And I will check it out. So there was, during the Iranian Revolution of 1979, which is, of course, where you would expect this story to begin, there was a filmmaker called Amir Shavan, and he moved to America, and he still wanted to be a filmmaker like he was in Iran. And obviously, during the 80s, the, the big thing that was great was action films, uh, especially a film called Lethal Weapon, uh, with a rogue, you know, mulleted cop, cop and, uh, you know, his black partner. So uh, Amir Shavan tried to replicate that, but with a script that was like clearly written in Iranian and then run through, you know, whatever translation device he had. So all the dialogue is really stilted and unauthentic because he made the actors just say what he's written. Um, your lead, Matt Hannon, was a bodyguard for Stallone and a double. He kind of looked like Stallone, so he's got long hair. But then halfway through the shoot, when he thought it was over, he got his hair cut, but they brought him back to do reshoots, so they just put a share wig on him. <laughs> so there are stuff like that. half the film, he's blatantly wearing a wig and in one fight scene it falls off um you've got b-movie legends in there like rob zadar who's clearly there for like five days um there's awkward sex scenes really bad fight scenes hilarious dialogue it's i mean even if you just youtubed uh samurai cop trailer just watching it you'd be like i've got to see this film it's astounding well, yeah, you've sold it to us. We're, we're definitely checking I'm that definitely out. I'm definitely on board. That, George, that could be one for our uh, retro revelations. These yes. are the films that we that passed us by because, you know, we're doing this podcast. We've got a long list of films to cover uh, that we've come to. And then people keep telling us, like, we never saw that. So we've got, we have got a revelations episode lined up. So that, that's one for the list. Trust me, once you watch Samurai Cop, your life would just change for the better. <laughs> So, I mean, bring it back to these um, these Born to, Born to be Bad books that we've mm. read. Thoroughly enjoyed them. I say slightly jealous of your opportunity to speak to these people and really glad of the dedication that was put in in terms of interviewing all of the, the diehard villains that you were able to contact. But um, to bring it all back to the beginning, um, was that your first book? Uh, I mean, how did it come about? Had it been an idea that was on your mind or was it an opportunity that came along? How, how did it come about? No, that was my first book. Uh, I wrote it back in 2017, 2018. And it came about because I was at a very much like a Prince Charles event. I was at a sellout screening of an anniversary screening of Robocop. And, you know, everyone's chanting along with the dialogue. And it occurs to me while I'm watching Robocop that all the actors who play the bad guys look like they're having a great time as opposed to um, Peter Weller, yeah. who famously had a fucking miserable time. And I was also kind of looking at people like Ronnie Cox and Kurtwood Smith and Ray Wise, and I'm like, no one would really cast... Now they're known as villainous actors, but at the time, it's like, why would you cast these people as bad guys in a sci-fi action film? How does that happen? Why do they look like they're having a great time? And while cycling home drunk, I was like, I bet you... All the actors who play bad guys have much better times than the actors playing heroes because bad guys get to have more fun. And, you know, if you're a good bad guy, you've pretty much made the film. So I just came up with this idea to track down all the actors that played memorable bad guys in the films that I grew up with and talk to them about their experiences, whether it was like the greatest thing that happened to their career, whether they got 
stereotyped as a result, what it was like working with these big A-listers, um, and, you know, all the stories in between, really. And, uh, yeah, it was my first book. So I just kind of started slowly tracking down these actors one by one, trying to persuade them to talk to essentially a no one. <laughs> Well, it was, uh, you know, it's an, an amazing list for, you know, the, the first book, as, as Charlie says, you know, you've got pretty much the as many of the surviving uh, villains from Die Hard. You have the guys from Robocop. You have a, a lot of the villains from Commando. It's a great long list of, of who's who and plenty of the actors that Charlie and I sort of talk about how great, you know, these character actors were. Um, some of them have got really extensive filmographies and and in your book you it's it's evident you've done a lot of prep and a lot of research how much research did you have to do because you know a lot of these guys it's not just films they've done a lot of tv a lot of them seem to have done a lot of star trek as well bizarrely well i'm a big star trek fan so that just kind of works its way in naturally but when you've got an actor like someone like david warner you know the british actor he has been in Everything. The Omen, <laughs> Time Bandits, Time After Time, Star Trek, Titanic. Tron. You know, Tron, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of like, right, I'm interviewing David Warner about villains. Which are the ones that I want to talk about? So obviously like Time Bandits, Tron, mm. Titanic, they're all going to come up. And it's weird because when I started talking to him, he was like, why do you want to talk to me about playing villains? I haven't played that many villains. <laughs> I don't consider myself playing that many villains. And I, I kind of go, you literally played evil in Time Bandits. What are you talking about? <laughs> evil, he's like, yeah. evil incarnate. Yes. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, but I was a good guy in The Omen. I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to really talk to you about The Omen. It's like all these bad guy roles. I was like, you tortured Patrick Stewart in uh, The Next Generation. And so it was, um, yeah, a lot of them, they were kind of bemused and in terms of like how to conduct the interview, you know, you just want to hit various touchstones. Yeah. So it's just kind of guiding them from one to the other because someone like David Warner has been in like 101 projects. So that they're very well films that, you know, some readers might have gone, why didn't you talk to him about, you know, this time, this, yeah. this film? And you've just kind of got to keep in mind that, you know, you want to hit the greatest hits to an extent. Um, so did you send them the questions? I'm guessing. No. No, ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that makes me super in both cases, both books, because I am super impressed with some of their answers. Um, basically, I, 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 when you're trying to persuade them to do the interview, you give like a very loose outline. Like I want to talk to them about their career, some of their key roles, um, you know, how it affected their career, stereotyping. Mm -hmm. So, you know, their agents and managers kind of have a rough idea of what you're talking about and they're um yeah but the great thing about a lot of these actors like your david warners is unlike your major a-listers they don't really have a publicist team i only had one interview where i had a publicist listening in who was like either hurrying me along or like you can't talk about that edit that out uh, yeah <laughs> Stop, please don't ask him questions about that um uh, and yeah, so that that's the great thing. Why this interviewing the guys who play your villains is much easier than interviewing the heroes because mm -hmm. Stallone, Bruce Willis, Arnie, they're going to have like so, a, a publicist team protecting them from people like me who want to like ask them interesting questions about their career, which they should really have no interest in answering. 
Well, you get some very candid responses, you know, as there's some, yeah, very revealing anecdotes, you know, in uh, Born to be Bad Part 2, I, I was reading about, uh, apologies, his name escapes me, but all our listeners will know him as the guy who played Tong Po in Kickboxer. Yeah. And he's yeah. got some yeah, really revealing stories about, you know, starting off with Van Damme, then, then both traveling to the States together. Mm-hmm. Having this and, pact that they would watch out for each other. Yeah. No, so, so there's some, you know, there's some really interesting revelations. And a lot of the actors are very honest and frank about their careers saying, you know, I did it for the money. You know, I've got bills to pay. I've got a family to support. You know, they're, they're, they're very humble. Very much so. And I like that because also not all the stories about some of these major stars, everyone has the same opinion on them. Like there is Brian Thompson, who was in The Terminator and Cobra and um, films like Dragonheart. And he has very candidly basically said that he didn't get on with Arnie Stallone. They're all rude you know, fucking assholes. And he made like this parody film called The Extendables, all about these action stars that coast on their bad behavior. And then there are other actors who are like, oh no, Stallone is the hardest person in the working person in the room. Mm. Arnie's great. Um, I think it all depends on when these actors worked with them. Yeah. So how successful the film probably was as well. Because, yeah, because I think there is clearly this period in the mid to late 80s when Stallone and Schwarzenegger are at their biggest. And I don't think it's unfair to say that their egos might have been out of control a little bit. And there might have been, yeah. Well, we're the biggest stars in the world. (laughs) Exactly, especially with Stallone. Um, And I think over the past couple of decades, he's kind of admitted to this. And also, um, Mohamed Kisi, who played Tong Po, he um, touches upon uh, aspects of Jean-Claude Van Damme's career and battle with substance abuse that Van Damme's been very upfront about mm. recently. So you're, I didn't feel like I was dishing dirt that wasn't in the you know, out there. It yeah. wasn't out there, exactly. And I had no intention to trash some of these actors that I really like. So, but... Yeah, with Mohamed Kisi and Jean-Claude Van Damme, they grew up together and they went out to Hollywood together and they started off in films together, like um, Kisi's in Bloodsport and Kickboxer and everything. And then there came a point where they fell out. Mm. And uh, it's fascinating to find out the the story behind that. And, uh, you know, that decades later, I think fairly recently, they've just patched things up. Yeah, But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting. I think that that was one of the stories that struck me the hardest because it was he went into a lot of detail and he revealed a lot of his character and it all made sense. Like the two things out of the, the most recent book, Born to be Bad 2, that really stuck up for me was that because I never heard of this guy, but everything that he talks about, it sounds believable. It sounds like Jean-Claude Van Damme and it's heartwarming, you know, the mm. fact that they contacted. The other one that I was like, this is exactly the type of person I thought he was in real life was Robert Patrick. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm from a military man because I'm an intense motherfucker. I just yeah. love the fact that that is who he, he's exactly who I thought he was. Robert Patrick is very much a God fearing Harley Davidson riding badass motherfucker. Yeah. And what was great about him was I think he might have been a little bit nervous at the beginning of the interview because he's like, here's another guy that just wants to talk to me about the T-1000. Yeah, or all the X Files, and he was very upfront, going, "People I talk to, they only want to talk about Terminator 2 90 percent of the time, <laughs> and the other ten percent of the time, 
it's the X-Files. And at one point during the interview, I was just very much kind of like, you know, after Terminator 2, you just played the T-1000 in Wayne's World 2, Last Action Hero, and the ride at Universal Studios. It was like, did you just think this was all you were going to be doing for the rest of your life? And he was very honest. He was like, yeah. I just thought <laughs> this was like an albatross around my neck. Uh, and then we just talked about like a dearth of straight to video action films that he made, which he kind of was very upfront about that, you know, after Terminator 2, he still needed to work. He really liked being the bad guy in Double Dragon and got paid a lot for that, but no one ever wants to talk to him about Double Dragon. So I did. And then, yeah, it was like Copland resurrected his career in his words. And then he got more roles kind of playing these often grizzled, corrupt villainous types and you know he's constantly working but i think people are just kind of like city 1000 guy and yeah he he was really interesting to talk to he's he's hilarious he's hilarious i really enjoyed talking to rob patrick he was i don't know why he's one of the the guys and i think the sala guy the you know who uh, was was sauron and yeah. many many others that you, you explain in the book but i really felt like they'd had some prep because their answers were so um well i mean they just got the stories haven't they they've got these anecdotes <laughs> to try and narrow this down and george will give you the follow-up question sure. what was the most surprising interviewee in a good way the most surprising interviewee in a good way was what uh, I kind of want to say someone like Ronnie Cox in that a, I got him to do an interview yes. with me wow. and then B he is nothing like you expect, which it all depends what you expect Ronnie Cox to be. But when you kind of grow up with him being Dick Jones and Robocop, Cohagen, total recall. And even in his kind of, Good guy roles like Lieutenant Bogomil and Beverly Hills Cop. He's very authoritative. Strict, authoritative, yeah. 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 And then in real life, he's like a lefty, hippie, tree hugger type. Doesn't who, he do? Is it like all like country music these he's days? He's into country yeah. music now. He's just a touring yeah. musician. He's got a band. Um, I interviewed him for the documentary in Search of the Last Action Heroes. And just as we were packing up, he was just talking about how the deliverance cast are divided politically. It's like John Voigt on one side of the spectrum, and then he's on the other. And <laughs> at that time, it, no, Burt Reynolds had passed, but, um, oh, God, he, uh, Ned Beatty was, yeah. you know, he was still talking to, to Ned Beatty, and they were just kind of looking at, like, John Voigt, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so it was Ronnie Cox because he couldn't have been warmer, more friendly. He, when I was in his house, he was like getting his comic books that had been written about his Star Trek, the next generation cap, uh, character, Captain Jellico. He was great. So he was the most surprising because I had an image in my mind about what Ronnie Cox would be like. And he was completely the opposite. Just his, just his agent saying, yeah, I've got time to sing on the phone. Fuck him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah. Um, so, so my follow-up question is, who's the most surprising interviewee in a bad way? Um, yeah. So without, I mean... It, be, careful, be careful, obviously. I mean, uh, maybe, or maybe or it, it didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. You were I, upset with what you got. I'm going to say, and tragically, he passed last year. Um, so it was Tommy Tiny Lister, who plays... Um, Debo, Debo in Friday films. Yeah. Yeah. He's and, uh, the president in The Fifth Element. He's a yeah. big prisoner in The Dark Knight. And I don't know what I expected going in. And I 
don't know what was going on with him at the time. And after the interview, I read that he was kind of going through some personal issues. There might have been allegations of domestic abuse. But basically, he just started talking and it just it was just nonstop. And I was trying to insert questions in and it kind of felt like he had a lot going on and he was kind of like, you know, my comeback is just beginning, man. It's going to be me, Dolph Lundgren and Aquaman. And, you know, the, the return of Debo is any day soon. And I'm a legend in the rap career. And I've worked with Peter O'Toole and uh, Omar Sharif. And, and you know, every question I asked him, it just kind of went off on a tangent. So it was like trying to steer. <laughs> yeah, heard, just trying to steer someone like Tommy Lister. So that was the interview that I think was the hardest work and was like uh, just trying to weather a force of nature. Mm. And there's also, it goes out saying there's, there's uh, and I'm, I remember you saying this uh, on uh, another podcast, there was, after the first book, loads of people wrote wrote to you and gone, why haven't you, you know, contacted this person? Where's this person? Where's that person? My book! One <laughs> <laughs> is your book, but is there, um, obviously you've done, you know, two parts of uh, yeah. Born to be Bad. Is there still any key villains you you're you, you're keen to get in some some fashion? There there were a bunch of white whales that I was after, and there there are three names that I essentially tried to get for about four years, and I couldn't. Uh, the first one, Clancy Brown. I really wanted Clancy Brown, the Kurgan. He is constantly working. I, I don't know how anyone can get an interview with him unless you're like Deadline or The Hollywood Reporter or Empire. Or making a John Wick film. Now doing a John <laughs> Wick film, exactly. Uh, the other one was Kurtwood Smith, uh, yes. who, Clarence Bodica. He's always working nonstop. I tried every member of his management team, couldn't get him. And the third one is Michael Ironside. And basically Michael Ironside doesn't do very many interviews these days. She beat three types of cancer or something a ah. few years back and likes to just basically if he's not, he's very picky about the acting roles he chooses and he just wants to spend time with his family. So I'm just kind of like, fair play, fair play, man. Yeah. You're Michael Ironside and you've just beaten however many types of cancer you can do whatever the fuck you want, my, my friend. Cancer's yeah. scared of him. Yeah. <laughs> I would be. Every yeah, Michael Ironside was on, was on my sort of question list of you must have tried to get him. Absolutely, um, yeah. What, uh, also, one that uh, Charlie and I have been chatting about uh, recently that does great villain is Carrie Fu Furi Tagawa from Mortal Kombat and um, Rising Sun. Rising Sun, you know, Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat. He's in the yeah, man absolutely. from the High Castle. He's actually We've... opposite one of the guys who's in your book. Yeah, Time R. When I mentioned it to Time R at the end of my interview, I was like, you're with a carry hero. You got his number. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you got his number. <laughs> Basically that. Um, I've got a, uh, a friend of mine, Mike Fury, has written two books called Life of Action, where he interviews action stars and stuntmen. And he had Carrie Hiroyuki Tanaga in it. And I was like, can you give me his contact details? And he did. And I was constantly trying to contact him and his agents. And again, he's just someone who's constantly working. And I mm. just feel that you've got to be so lucky to get him. I, yeah. Because if you look at his IMDb page, he's been in over like 200 films. He's just, he's just like constantly working. And yeah, he was another one who I was like, come on, I've, I've got to be able to get him. And yeah, yeah I, I, I just couldn't. 
I tried no. everything I could do to get him, but I could. Oh, that's that's a shame. No, because he's yeah, um, yeah. We covered Mortal Kombat last year, and again, we were we were chatting about it with the the reboot. Just saying, you know, one of the weaknesses with the new one is like, well, he's 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 no Kari Tagawa. You know, he hasn't got that that slimy menace. I mean, yeah, he's in the nineteen ninety five Mortal Kombat. He's devouring like the scenery. He's brilliant. Yeah, and that period when Hollywood became obsessed with yakuza gangs, and they're making stuff like Rising Sun and Showdown in uh, Little Tokyo. And he's just there, you know, fully tatted up with the accuser tattoos. He's having a delightful time. So I would have loved to talk to him. No, my favorite highlight of his recently is just in him talking like everything's a haiku in the man from the high castle. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I don't know, George, in terms of, I think the, the question is, it's obviously very early days, but are there plans for, to, you know, to continue in this fashion, to do a third book? You know, we're talk- we've just been talking about people that you still like to go for, uh, or are you just going to make it, are you, you going to go in a different direction? Would you do another Born to be Bad? I don't think I'd do another Born to be Bad. I think two and done. I don't think after so many years of trying to get those names that I mentioned, I, I don't think I can get them. And I, I, then I'd have to surround them with, at this point, maybe scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of... <laughs> well, yeah, because there's the priority. They'll look at everyone else who's done They're like, all oh, right, so I'm on the third book. The third book, yeah. So um, <laughs> at least with the second book, I was like, you turned me down the first time, but now there is actually a book. Uh, so you know that I'm semi-legit. Um, no, I, 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 I was semi-writing a book and I kind of shelved it because... Uh, there, there were just some interviews I couldn't get, and uh, I'm I'm in the middle of trying to figure out if I can reformat it in another way that I think would work. But at the moment, I think I'm done with writing. It's, it's really exhausting, man. It can be really stressful as well trying to get interviews. So, um, yeah, I think I might be too and done. Although I'm going down to the London Film and TV Comic Con at the Olympia in November with both copies of the book. And I'll be like selling, selling copies and signing it. And uh, I think Kim Coates, who I interviewed for Born to be Bad Part 2 is going to be down there. So I'll, I'll rock up and see him and give him a copy and high five him. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think, I think at the moment I'm done. There are a bunch of other things that I'm working on. So I think writing mm-hmm. books, I might shelve for a bit. <laughs> So with uh, In Search, the, the Last Action Heroes, which is, um, is, still, is it still available on Amazon Prime at the minute? I believe it's available yeah. on Amazon Prime, yeah. So, so that is an extensive look at the sort of the rise of the action genre th- from the sort of 60s, 70s into the 80s and 90s, the, the golden age. So is, did that sort of come, it, was that in tandem with the book in terms of, of, of your involvement with that? The book, the first book had just come out and I saw this documentary was going into production and I was like, hey, I've just written a book very similar to this. Mm -hmm. So I just reached out to them and asked if they were looking for a potential researcher, someone to help Mm -hmm. out. And they were really impressed with some of the names that I'd gotten for the book. And were like, we would like to interview a bunch of these people for the documentary. And you seem to have an in. So they brought me in as kind of a co-writer producer and I ended up being sent out to LA a few months later to do a lot of the interviews. Um, and it wasn't just people I had interviewed for the book, um, but people like Mario Cazar of Carolco, who had produced, you know, Terminator 2, the Rambo films, mm-hmm. uh, 
Cutthroat Island, people like Cynthia Rothrock, uh, Philip Ree and Eric Roberts are the best of the best films. And, you know, even composers like uh, Brian Tyler, who has done a bunch of the Marvel films and the Fast and Furious films. And we were just talking to him about, you know, action soundtracks. And that man is an encyclopedia. Also, looks like a goddamn model. Just <laughs> he <go>. does. <laughs> he does. He's like a beautiful cockatoo with just like <laughs> sweat back hair. But like, he just looks like a model. And you're just there talking about how awesome Jerry Goldsmith's soundtrack Star Trek and Motion Picture is. And you're like, there's such a disconnect here. <laughs> He's just like, let me tell you what the greatest theme of all time is. The opening score to Conan the Barbarian. And you just look at him going, but you're so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, that that was great. We were just doing it in his studio and he's got all like the posters of the films that he's scored. And you're just like, oh man, you're living the dream. And we're just talking about, you know, the lack of film themes, you know, like you, you know what the theme is to the Terminator, you know, like the Rambo theme. And he took over doing the Rambo scores from Jerry Goldsmith. And he's like, we were talking about lamenting the uh, lack of opening credits these days where, you know, you can set the scene with like the music and the credits. And yeah, it was, it was really interesting kind of getting his take on, on the genre and films today. And as someone who scores the Fast and Furious films, he has like an interesting perspective on action and how it's evolved mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, on that note, what are you? Um, what are your thoughts on the the current state of the action genre? I mean, obviously, it's a much different playing field. Is it safe to say that Marvel has kind of the action genre has kind of had its merged into the comic book genre? There's a lot of, well, especially the the Bruckheimer sort of productions. I know they're still sort of going, but it seems like Marvel have taken up. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of martial arts. There's a lot of impressive stunt work. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on the, the action genre as a whole, you know, across, you know, streaming and cinema? I think action films these days are great. Honestly, it, it depends what you're looking for and it depends on the scale of action. So there, there are people who are like, oh, they don't make action films like they used to in the 80s. Oh, they do. <laughs> they, they, they do. And in some cases, it's better. So you can't tell me that blood sport and kickbox in terms of martial arts are better than films like the raid and the night comes for us and the stuff that 87 11 are doing in terms of action choreography uh you know they lock the camera and they let these action stars do their stuff that's uh, chad stahelski's uh, outfit isn't it chad stahelski and david leach um then the fast and furious films <laughs> they are like the most 80s action films ever it's like yeah. If you love Commando, where your bad guy doesn't really feel, well, your hero doesn't feel pain, never really runs out of bullets, physics doesn't really apply. (laughs) Fast and Furious. That's the Fast and the Furious films. Everyone's big and muscular. Everyone's just covered in baby oil. There is blatant homoeroticism throughout. (laughs) Level 11. Yeah, if if you like Commando and then you're like, slamming the Fast and Furious friend. I don't understand. There is some level of disconnect there that is passing over your head because I really enjoy the Fast and Furious films. I think they're hilarious. Me and my wife go and see them. They're great fun. I I love them. I love them in the same way I like Commando. And then there are people like Scott Adkins making these really great DTV action 
films like, you know, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning or the Undisputed Boyka films. Yeah. They're better, they're, they're just as good or better than anything like Daniel Bernhardt or Lauren Albertson was making in the 80s and 90s. Um, sure, Marvel do everything bigger and better. But this is just kind of like how blockbusters evolve. It's like Terminator 2 is like, why do Lord is the greatest action film of all time? I still prefer Terminator because of the, its grimier aspect. Mm. Sure, it's Terminator 2. also what it would go on to become. It's, I think it's actually good to say that, is that Terminator will always have its place because yeah. I think we're all on the same page. We, we all kind of think T2 is the best sci-fi or just action film of all time. It's incredible. But it's, 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 it's a berry from the, the seed that is Terminator. You know, so. The fact that you get a hundred million dollar film that's the most expensive film of all time from like a tiny is it six sci-fi million or something? B movie. Yeah, yeah. That was just like a, a hit on vi- it boggles my fucking mind and the technical expertise in it and are, are, are great, but it, yeah, Marvel is kind of doing the same. They are leveling up with the technology, whether it's de-aging. Um, I think some of the action in some of their films is great. The Captain America, Wind Soldier, Definitely. those fights are great. Um, I'm very excited to see what Brad Allen um, and basically, uh, is it? Who's the guy that did, I was going to say the guy did Extraction. He started on Marvel, didn't he? Sam Hargraves, yeah. yeah. He he did a lot of the second unit action and then he did like Wolf Warrior 2. He took basically the Captain America stunt team to China to do uh, Wu Ying's uh, Wolf Warrior 2 and Frank Grillo was the bad guy. Frank Grillo's making some great action films. You watched between. Boss Level. I have watched Boss Level. That was a lot of fun for a very, you know, relatively low-budget action film. But yeah, Shang-Chi looks great fun. I've heard Brad, uh, the late Brad Allen, who is a member of the Jackie Chan stunt team, has pulled together some great fights. I'm sure they'll be enhanced with CGI. Yeah. But I don't mind because it's a magical kung fu film. And if I want hardcore... Martial arts films, Gareth Evans is doing something with Tom Hardy at the moment. I'm waiting for Raging Fire with Donnie Yen uh, that's meant to come out. So I think there is so much different action for everyone. And it's such a wide spanning genre that whatever your taste, there is something for you. You just need to know where to look. You've obviously mentioned a few there, but what for you, what is, uh, you know, some of your favorite recent action films? I mean, uh, yeah, The Night Comes for Us, The Raid. Well, The Raid's almost probably 10 years old now, but it's still, yeah. f- for, for probably for our money, is, you know, one of the greatest action films made in the, uh, in the last 20 years. Some recent action films I've really enjoyed. Now I'm just completely blank- blanking. Um, yeah. Obviously, the John Wick films are great, great fun. Uh, anything that 8711 seems to get involved with always looks great in terms of the action. Yeah. Oh, God. Was... Well, on, the, on the note of, uh, of, of John Wick, you know, how excited are you for John Wick 4? So you, we mentioned Clancy Brown. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Yen. Donnie Scott, Yen. Scott Adkins. Yeah. Hiroyuki uh, Sadada is in there uh, Yeah. As well. it's, it's just like um, Charlie and I just joke. It's like almost like every week it's like, okay, who, we get, who are they going to announce this week? It's, it's, it's quite a cast. I mean, yeah, there, there are names there that I'm kind of waiting for them to to put in, like Daniel Bernhardt, 
who does a lot of stuff with 8711. I think he's just finished doing The Matrix 4, where he's playing Agent I was just going to bring that up. That's the other film that we've all got to look forward to. And happy yeah. birthday, Keanu Reeves, because I think it's oh, while we're recording. Oh, wow. Not that that will apply when you listen to this. <laughs> um, I, I think Daniel Bernhardt it, uh, crops up in the first John Wick. I think he's one of the like hired goons. Or am I getting confused with Atomic Blonde? He's definitely he was one of in- the Prey. I saw him in Nobody as one of the thugs on the bus. Yeah. He might be in the. F- if he is, I and they just bring him back as his twin. Put put a mustache on him. He'll be fine. Yeah. If he's in the first one, I might have missed him, but it's very possible he wasn't there. Yeah. He's. I think he's definitely in Atomic Blonde, but yeah, I think he's one of the because it's one of those things that I was watching it. And then I've seen him a few other things. And then I've pieced together. It's like, oh, he's the guy that took over from Van Damme in yeah. Kickboxer. Because they yeah. looked on, on the DVD, on the video cover, they looked kind of similar. It's like, yeah, we'll get away with it. The guy I really want them to get into John Wick is Michael Jai White. Because I love Michael Jai White. I think he's great. I think he's charismatic. And I think he's making some terrible films at the moment. Um, there are... I watched, yeah. um, I remember you sort of talking about, before it came out, hyping, you know, getting excited about, is it Triple, was it Triple Threat? Triple Threat, yeah. Yeah, and I got, uh, it, that didn't, it seemed like a bit of a wasted opportunity. It had, it was a, a Tony Yar, uh, Michael J. White, Scott Adkins. Tiger Chen, Eco Uwes was in there Eco as well. Was, yeah, it seemed like you had all those people and it was, it was, it was okay. It was, it was know, okay. Yeah. I, I, talked to Scott Adkins a few times and I have mentioned that maybe Triple Threat might have been a bit of a wasted opportunity and he works with Jesse Johnson all the time and I think what it comes down to with these types of films is time and budget Yeah, and I think they had the talent there and maybe not the time and budget to take the time to really craft something great yeah. as it could have been because I was really excited about that. It was like forget the uh expendables this was like gonna promise some really bone breaking action and there was some great stuff in there but it 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 wasn't i think maybe what everyone was hoping for didn't um, didn't scott can say one of the is that the film where he said i only took the film because i wanted to fight one of the actors i wanted to have the opportunity to fight Tony R, I think was at all. I think it was that because yeah. I think no, that's I mean, what you said. I think I can remember you reading you saying, "Oh, it didn't do or wasn't as well received." You said, like, "I just did it because I wanted to fight this one character." If, the, if that's what he said when I interviewed him for my book, then yeah, I've completely forgotten. But he could have been saying that about a number of films. Mm-hmm. And he, I know he has a very close working relationship with Jesse Johnson, so I don't think he would have not done that film because the two of them have done lots of films together. So. No, he seems like, um, again, he's on the In Search of the Last Action Heroes, isn't he? And he comes across as a really lovely guy. And mm, it's, sort of, yeah. it's one of those things that you sort of, I wish that he has a bigger career. Um, but he seems quite content, you know, from what reading the interview in, in Born to be Bad Part 2, he seems quite content with his lot, you know, the films he's making and... Again, yeah, he realizes that there are some films, you know, he's a working actor. He's, you know, got to pay the bills, but um, he's he's quite content with what he's doing. Well, obviously, I think he would like to be, be a bigger star. <laughs> be in, be in, you know, the Bond films or yeah. as Batman. But I think, you know, being in John Wick 4 is clearly something he's been vying for for a while. And I'm hoping it gives him that little bit of a career boost, but I was hoping the same for Mark Cascos after John Wick 3, and that really hasn't happened, which is a shame because 
so talented. He's great. So talented, so charming, so pretty. And it, he's gone back to kind of making a direct video schlock, which yeah. is a shame because at the same time, I want Hollywood to put him in more stuff. And then whenever Hollywood puts someone like Tony Yarko, who is in a big film, they're uh, wasted. They're wasted and they yeah. don't know what to do with someone that talented. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, maybe a, a more mid-tier thing, like whatever David Leach is doing with Bullet Train. Um, he's got, you know, Brad Pitt in there. He's got um, Andrew Koji from Warrior and Snake Eyes, who's a really talented martial artist. You want someone like him to kind of weave in these uh, action um, elder statesmen, if you will. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, well, I suppose we can say so. Um, well, yeah, but before, I mean, I, I think we need to have an in-depth discussion about Kamano. But before mm-hmm. that, um, is there anything you want to promote, raise awareness of? Obviously, um, Born to be Bad, is it part two or just two is out now? I, I would say, yeah, Born to be Bad, part two. If you like action films and uh, bad guys, uh, Born to be Bad, part two is out now and uh, as we said, there's interview with Scott Adkins in there, Stephen Lang from Avatar, uh, Robert Patrick, um, Xander Berkeley from The Walking Dead and Air Force One, Kim Coates, Tony Todd as Candyman is currently out. Um, yeah, there's loads of actors in there and that's currently out and you can order it through your local bookshop or on Amazon should you wish to fund that giant monster so Jeff Bezos can have a second space penis. <laughs> yeah. and, and another midlife crisis involving a cowboy hat oh um, good god he's well, just yeah. Lex Luthor in <laughs> real life a bad, yeah. Lex Luthor. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have Gene, Gene Hackman as, as Lex Luthor he was oh, definitely more fun wouldn't we all but yeah as, as Charlie and I opened with we loved both your books it's uh, I think it's safe to say you know considering the films that we've we've covered on this podcast it is definite recommended reading for our listeners and if you're you're not a fan of of reading then definitely check out uh, in search of the last action heroes that is as at the time of recording it is available on amazon prime and i picked it up on itunes uh, for for not very much money as well it's it's uh, again that's a real sort of nostalgia trip and definitely worth a watch it's been great to speak to you. Really enjoyed your books. I'm glad you, you know, you've obviously still got lots of other things going on with films and, and obviously uh, podcasts. So thanks for that. Uh, and thanks for your uh, inside track on all things Commando. Definitely one of the most significant action films ever. Mm. Definitely. <laughs> I think it goes Citizen Kane, Lawrence Arabia, <laughs> Commando. <laughs> Commando. Link but it, it, it's a great film. It's a great film. Mm. Well, th- thanks. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. This has been really good fun. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That was uh, just summing up of our interview with Timon Singh. That was fun, wasn't it, George? A lot of fun. No, it was, um, it was fantastic to finally get him on the, uh, the podcast. He's, he's a very busy man. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's great. Obviously, as you know, we both said, we've both had a lot of fun reading his, both his books, uh, so yes, it was great to get some some of the stories behind it. Another lover of the eighties and nineties 
cult classics that we cover. And Timon will be featuring on future episodes because once we'd finished recording, we had to ask the man who'd had a, um, you know, he had the forward of his book written by, um, is it Stephen DeSouza or Michael DeSouza? I forget. Stephen DeSouza. Uh, so he had some amazing anecdotes direct from the writer's uh, room on Commando, um, a film which we'll be covering in our next podcast. Isn't that right, George? That is indeed correct. We we were quite sneaky about it. So yeah, we when Timon agreed to come on the podcast, we thought it would be great to follow up with one of the films that had, you know was tied to that sort of action heroes and villains of the 80s. And as we say in his book, he does interview many of the commando villains. So yes, we asked him a few uh, key questions about the, the, the cult classic, the action classic that is commando. Also known as the greatest film ever made. Uh, oh, okay, so that's what's coming up next. Uh, anything else we need to mention at this moment in time, George? Oh, just the usual blurb of uh, if you enjoy the, the podcast, you know, we're a little independent podcast. So please share with like-minded people, uh, share on your social feeds uh, and like and subscribe if you haven't done already, because it does uh, make us more visible to more people. Yeah, keep the, keep the sharing up. We're seeing a lot of traction on Spotify and YouTube, which we don't give any attention to. So that's great. Some interesting YouTube comments. Uh, please keep them coming. We love you all equally. And some great banter uh, on, on, on the Facebook group. So, uh, and, on, and on Twitter and on Insta. They're, they're, they're all amazing. Very, very exciting time to be on social media. Um, okay, so yeah, that was our episode featuring on the two books by Time and Sin, the Born to Be Bad one and two. I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.